This morning, we'll be reading out of 1 John, chapter 2, verses 7 through 11. Behold, I am writing you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you had from the beginning. <clears throat> the old commandment is the word that you have heard. As at the same time, it is a new commandment that I am writing to you, which is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. Whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. This is the word of God. When trials and temptations come in, my joy wanes. So I write these things, number one, to make your joy complete. Number two, I write these things, chapter 2, verse 1, so that you may not sin. Good morning. Let's pray. Father, uh, what a glorious day this is. Uh, this day where... Um, as uh, Christians who have been purchased by your shed blood, that we know, God, that we are in a forever relationship with you, that our um, fellowship with you has been purchased. And God, our desire, um, as we're being instructed by John, God, I pray that you would, um, my desire, God, is that you would show us um, uh, places where... Um, <laughs> where we're not understanding your complete, unconditional love for us. And God, I pray that you would prick the places in our heart where we are um, holding back um, unconditional love towards others. And God, I thank you that, uh, that we truly can do nothing um, um, outside of the power, uh, your power. And I thank you, God, that anything that we do that's good um, does not uh, secure our fellowship. It's already secured, uh, but it is our response to everything that you've already given and accomplished uh, in us. So, God, please, uh, I'm a beggar in need of your grace this morning, and I pray, God, that you would help me uh, proclaim rightly uh, your word for your glory and for the good of those that you brought here this morning. We love you. We thank you that you loved us first. And God's people said, amen. Good morning. And that was um, an amazing song. I love that song. We are, uh, if you're new with us, we are uh, marching through the epistle of 1 John. Uh, John has written this book to uh, the church, first century church in uh, Ephesus. And as, as, um, as is true of all of God's word, it is written for a particular audience, but it is for our good. It's for the Christian's good um, throughout all time. We've named this sermon series Blessed Assurance because what we see in this uh, letter that John wrote is that he wants you, believer, to have um, assurance in who he is and who he says that you are so that you can have maximum joy in him. He also writes it so that there, uh, for those that might um, not be in Christ and still processing it or maybe being false believers that you would come to true saving faith through uh, through the reading uh, and proclamation of this amazing book. I've titled this sermon today, Loved to Love. 
that we have been loved so that we can love, uh, both love God and love others. And um, love is, it, it's, it's essential to human flourishing. It's as essential to our flourishing as um, air and water is. We were created to be loved and to love. The challenge for most of us is that we have been loved imperfectly. Um, if you have been raised by another human being, um, you have been loved imperfectly. And as good a job as many of our uh, parents did, and, is, and uh, our teachers, our coaches, our mentors, our pastors, um, we have not been loved perfectly. Furthermore, when we love others, it's oftentimes based upon our need to be loved. What I mean by that is that we love others in order to get something back. And it kind of struck me the other day. Um, I do this all the time, and it's not inherently bad. But, but in the context of this sermon, I, I picked up my um, grandson, Oliver, and I said, Ollie, Papa needs a hug from you. And I just hugged him, and he kissed me, and we did this like we always do. But the reality is, is that what I, was, what I was teaching him there is that I am loving you because I need love. Give Papa a hug. Papa needs a hug from you. And it seems hardless, harmless, excuse me, but I needed a hug because I wanted to feel his love for me rather than expressing my love towards him. I'll, we're going to unpack this a little bit as we go through, um, through this passage. But um, it's easy for me to love others when they're lovable. It's easy for me to love others when I know I'll get something back from them. It's easy for me to forgive somebody, that's loving somebody, if I know that there's a high probability that they will repent. It's also easy for me to confess my sin to somebody that I've hurt if I think there's a high probability that they will forgive me. You see, a lot of my love, and I will submit to you that much of your love is based on what you can get from the, the recipient of your love. It's easy to serve, it's easy to give, it's easy to sacrifice when others appreciate my serving and my giving and my sacrifice. It's easy to love those who are lovable. I want to ask you this morning, is your love for others, primarily other Christians, but, but for others generally speaking, is your love based upon what you can or will get in return from the recipient of your love. I want you to just ponder that in any, any relationship, key relationship that you have. And be honest with yourself. I want to, just, I want to give us a high-level re, uh, review of where we've been. Um, John is writing this book, as I mentioned before, so that we would have blessed assurance that you are in fellowship with the Father in His Son, Jesus Christ. He wants the believer to have joyful assurance of our position in Christ because once we are in position of fellowship, once he has a hold of us, he will never let us go. And on top of that, he wants to experience an ongoing intimacy and relationship or fellowship with the Father. Last week... John started off in chapter 2, verse 1, saying that I write these things to you that you may not sin. And we knew earlier that, that um, from, 
from chapter 1 that everybody sins, that, that every human being this side of glory sins. And we also know from chapter 1 that we all have a sin nature, and just because we put our faith and trust in Christ doesn't mean that our sin nature goes away. It means that, we, that the Father sees us um, as sinless through the person of Jesus Christ. We saw last week that the manifestation of our love towards God is obedience towards God. We learned that salvation is the root and obedience is the fruit. John wants you and I, his readers, to experience complete and fullness of joy in our fellowship with God. And he knows that our joy-filled fellowship will only be complete, it'll only be maximized when we live in obedience to God's good commands in his word. Where are the Macombs at? Right there. Congratulations. Can you, like, just hold her up real quick? Is it her? Him? What's his name? Arthur Daniel. Woo! I can't think of a better sound than a crying baby. When he poops, take him out of here. That's just, I'll, I'll go with the cry, but you know, the, the other end, I don't, I don't do that. I don't even like experiencing that. Arthur Daniel, welcome to this world. What a beauty. John wrote in chapter 2, verses 4 through 5, last week we saw this. He says, whoever says that I know him, whoever says that I am in fellowship with God, whoever says I have a relationship with God but does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, in him truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in him. John is saying that the blessed assurance of knowing that we know Christ and he knows us is that we love him. And the only proof that we know him is that we have a direction towards obedience to his word and his commandments. And then he gave us that, those words right after that that was just like a warm blanket that, that we know that none of us are without sin. And we know that if anyone does sin, he says, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, who is a propitiation for our sins. So our response to our salvation in Christ is joyful obedience to God's word and commands. And remember, it's about direction, not perfection. That there should be a new direction in our life of desiring to live in obedience to His Word. And when we blow it, we know we have a great high priest who took all of our past, present, and future sin upon Himself and exchanged our mess for His righteousness. Last week's passage could be summarized as the great and first commandment that Jesus talked about in Matthew 22. You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. This week, John is going to get more precise. He will drill down from obedience to his word and all of his commandments to what he has referred to as the second great commandment. John refers to something called the old yet the new commandment. And this commandment is to love others, especially to love Christians. And I want to just say a word about love. Um, 
It's, it's a word that we sing about. It's a word that we, um, in our family, we're just really quick. We're like, we're kissers, we're huggers, and we say we love you a lot. And, um, and it means a ton. But I, I think sometimes we throw that word around without actually thinking about what it means. Jonathan Edwards said this. He says, love is the chief of the affections and the fountain of all other affections. If you've not read C.S. Lewis's book, The Four Loves, I would highly recommend it. It's a short read. It's a short listen. It's about two and a half hour listen. And in C.S. Lewis's books, The Four Loves, he breaks down four different Greek words for love. The first one he calls, it's the Greek word storgi, or affection. The next is philia, or philia, which is friendship, which is where Philadelphia gets their name from, the, the city of brotherly love. The third is eros, or romantic love. And the fourth is agape, or charity. And the most common word that God uses to express his love for us and for our love for one another is the word agape, or charity. So today we're going to focus on agape love, as this is the love that John encourages us to love others with. But first, let me just give you a high-level definition of the other three. Storgi, or affection. It's, it's an affection born out of a familial relationship. It's like a mother and a child. Like, um, did Jess have to work at loving Arthur Daniel at all? Like that baby came out and there was just like an immediate bond. It's an affection. That's what storgi is. Philea is friendship. It's, a, it's the me too kind of love. You ever had a me too moment where you, um, maybe you're a fly fisherman and you're in Walmart and you hear two guys talking or a guy and a gal talking about fly fishing and you just want to walk up and go, me too. Or you're at a gas station and you're, um, somebody's over there pumping and you look at their uh, back window and it says uh, CrossFit Endure. The first thing you think, well, gosh, they're at the wrong gym. But then you go, no, um, they're CrossFitters. And it's like, me too. It's a me too moment. It's, it's a very similar kind of love that is talked about in Acts when, um, when 3,000 people um, came to Christ and they were from different ethnicities yet they all had immediately something in common, that they were all uh, saved by the shed blood of Jesus. This philia friendship is a me too kind of friendship, um, and it, you become friends because of what you share. You may not be friends outside of being a fellow crossfitter or a fly fisherman or even a Christian, but it's because of what you share that, you, that, you're, a friend, that you're friends. Eros is romantic. It's a, it's a husband and wife. It comes, it, it, our um, uh, English word erotic comes from eros. C.S. Lewis said this, without eros, none of us would have been begotten. And without affection, none of us would have been reared. But we can live and breed without friendship. All three types of love... All these three types, this storge, philia, and eros, all three types, these three types of love are based on the object of love being lovable. It's based on the object of love being easy to love. It's natural, if you will. Some might say it's chemistry. It's a love extended because the recipient is lovely in one way, shape, or form. Let's take a look at agape. 
Agape is a love that creates because it desires to give love. Agape is complete. It's self-sufficient. It has no wants or needs to satisfy other than the need or the desire, not need, the desire to see other people loved. Agape is not love because the object is lovable, but because the giver is altogether lovely. As humans, we want to receive the other three loves, affection and friendship and, um, and um, romance, as though we are somehow deserving of these, and we can offer something to the givers of those loves. We naturally want to be desired or be found delightful. Lewis calls affection, friendship, and erotic love, he calls them need loves. Because oftentimes they are given somehow to meet a need in the giver of that love. On the other hand, he refers to agape as give love. Agape is a love that gives everything to the recipient with no strings attached, expecting nothing in return. Agape does not love to fulfill some type of need. It creates in order to love. Agape is the way that God loves you and I. And it's the way that he wants us to love others. And the more that we understand God's love for us, the more we are free to love others without expecting anything in return. God created us for one reason, so that we would experience his love. He didn't have a need for our love. But he created us out of nothing so that we could experience his love in fellowship with the triune God. Our love should be more like his, giving love to the undeserving, not from our need, but for their benefit and to satisfy their need. Agape is needing others less and loving them more. Just let that sink in just a minute. Agape love is needing others less and loving them more because our ultimate needs have already been met by the author of agape love. Let's dive into the text, verse 7. Beloved, I am writing to you no new commandment but an old commandment that you had heard from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you've heard. So he's saying they've already heard this. They already know this commandment. So why is he reminding them of it? Well, they were probably like us where they loved him perfectly and they needed to be reminded of the second great commandment. And what we know here is that John is referring to the commandment to love others, especially other Christians, because of the contrast he makes in verses 9 through 11. He makes a contrast between loving others and hating others. John refers to this this commandment to love others as an old yet new commandment. And his Jewish audience, who he's writing to, would understand this commandment. They would have understood exactly what he was talking about. Because this old commandment was old in that it was foundational to God's law for God's people in Leviticus chapter 19. Where God said, you shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. This particular um, um, Old Testament text is the most repeated Old Testament text in all of the New Testament over a dozen times, to love our neighbor 
as ourself. I'm guessing, just like sometimes you've got to tell your kids more than once when they don't really hear you, is that um, he knows that this is something that we don't do well and we have a hard time doing because we're human. So he tells us over and over again in the New Testament to love others as we have been loved. God's Old Testament people, unlike you and I, didn't have an example to follow. And they didn't have the power to live out this command. So John says in verse 8, at the same time, this old commandment is a new commandment that I'm writing to you. This old commandment is a new commandment which is true in him, Jesus, and is true in you, believer, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. It's true in him. It's new because it's true or genuine or it's real or it's a true expression in Christ. Jesus said this in John 13, 34, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. How? Just as I have loved you, you are also to love one another. Do you want to know how to love others, even your enemies? Do you want to know how to love others without expecting anything in return? You look at the life and the death of Jesus Christ. The greatest definition of love is the person of Jesus Christ. If you want to see what love is all about, you study the life of Jesus and you discover that he is the the supreme demonstration of love. 1 John 2.6, we looked at this verse last week. It says this, Whoever says he abides in him or is in fellowship with him or has a relationship with him ought to walk in the same way in which he, Jesus, walked. You see, the kind of love John is calling you and I to is a selfless give love, not a selfish need love. This is the perfect love that Jesus poured out to others in his life and the perfect love that was manifest on the cross. He served and he died so that we might be served and live forever. I'm going to be reading a few scriptures this morning because... They just say everything. There's nothing that can be added. Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. Listen to Paul's encouragement to Christians. So if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, from his love towards you, if there's any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. How often do you love expecting something in return? And how do you even know that? You know how I know that? Sometimes it's subconscious, but then when I find I don't get the response I'm looking for, whatever that is, it's like, man, that that ticks me off. You know, it tells me I had some, uh, some conditional love. I had some um, unpure motives in my love. Do nothing, verse 3, from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Verse 4, let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. He's not saying that you can't have any interests. I mean, it is natural to want to be, to be loved. But when our motivation to love is to be loved in return, we're going to love conditionally rather than unconditionally. 
Verse 5, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself. And what that means, he didn't empty himself of being God. He was fully God and fully man, but he emptied himself of all the rights that he enjoyed from eternity past as the sovereign God. He emptied himself of um, all of his rights so that you and I can be eternally served by his love. But emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. This is a pattern. This is a gospel reality of our salvation, but it is also a pattern for us to follow in loving other people. Verse 9, therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. This is true. In Jesus. I'm writing you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you've heard. At the same time, it's a new commandment that I'm writing you, which is true in Him, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. It's true in Jesus because the darkness is passing away. Jesus is the light who came into the world to snuff out darkness and bring the light of salvation to all who trust in Him and His finished work on the cross for the forgiveness of their sins so they can be in a forever relationship or fellowship with the triune God. He came to establish his kingdom. And he has established his kingdom. That if you know Jesus Christ that right now, today, this is not his kingdom. Windsor Community Church isn't, but his realm is his kingdom. That he reigns from the right hand of the Father right now. In the midst of anything and everything that's going on in your life, he reigns and rules. The power and the penalty of sin has been defeated and Satan is on a short leash. The kingdom is already, but it is not yet. It will be consummated one day when he comes back to judge the living and the dead. And then there will be no more sin. Satan will be put away forever. There'll be no more suffering. But right now, The light has shined because the kingdom has been established. Yes, Jesus was the only one who could perfectly fulfill this second great commandment to love others. But his life is also a pattern for the way we are to strive by the power of the Spirit to live live our lives and love others. He says this is also true in you, believer, It's a new commandment that I'm writing to you, which is true in him, and it's also true in you because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. The old old commandment is new because it's true in you. It's genuine in you. It's real in you. Because of Christ in us and because we are in Christ, it's now possible to genuinely love others. And we can only live this out when we walk in his light and by his power. It's true in you because darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. It's true in you, Christian, because there's been a deliverance and there's been a transfer. It's true in you because you, as Paul says in Colossians chapter 2, that you've been delivered already from the domain of darkness and you have been transferred 
into the kingdom of his beloved son. You are a new creation with new desires, living in a new kingdom. We are a new people living in a new world. And then he gives us a test, actually, in verses 9 through 11. He gives us a test to see if we are walking in the life or walking in newness of life. He says, whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he's going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. If you remember, this was written because there's been some defectors from the church in Ephesus. There's been ones who have, um, who have um, left the orthodoxy of the faith, and they have claimed a, a new knowledge. And so what John is saying here, he's actually referring to these defectors, saying whoever claims that he is in the light and hates his brothers, so these defectors must somehow have been hating other Christians. And what John is saying, that if you hate others, um, you, you're either not a Christian or you don't understand what it means to be a Christian. Hating others, and I want to just pause here for a minute because I think a lot of you and maybe me might go, you know what, I don't know that I really hate anybody. But I think we need to define what hate actually is. And I would say in its simplest form, it's, a, it's, a, it's the opposite of agape love. There's a, there's a sense that you could love somebody else um, based on what you might receive from them that that could fall into the category of hating that person because you're loving them conditionally rather than unconditionally. Hating others is born out of self-love or need love. And self-love, as Lewis says, is the cruelest of all slaveries. It promises everything and it delivers absolutely nothing. Loving others is the most liberating of all freedoms. Loving others unconditionally, agape loving others, giving love to others is the most liberating of all freedoms. It promises everything and it gives us even more. The proper behavior of those who walk in the light is love for fellow believers. And I, I desperately, I, I really wanted to bring this text in this sermon towards just loving the world, but, it, but he's not talking about that. Uh, we'll have a time for that. He's actually talking about loving the brethren, loving other Christians. Um, and if you think about it, um, who do you spend your most time with? Um, in my household, it's, it's other Christians. It's my wife, it's my kids. In this church, it's you guys. And, um, and the closer we are to one another, the more opportunities we're going to have to Either not love either each other well or love each other well. Hating your brother or sister is giving him what he or she deserves rather than risking everything and giving him or her what, what they don't deserve. Hating your brother is letting your happiness depend upon them. Lewis describes Storgi, Philia, and, and Eros uh, as having idolatrous pitfalls. Agape, on the other hand, makes us completely vulnerable, even as Christ made himself vulnerable on the cross. He says to love, 
To love at all is to be vulnerable. To love anything. If you love anything, he says, your heart will certainly be wrung out and possibly broken. Loving is risky. But because we have been loved by our Creator and we are secured by His love, we can love others with reckless abandon, expecting nothing in return because we already possess everything. The greatest of love, we possess it in Jesus Christ. Listen how John describes this love in 1 John 4, 7-12. through 12. Beloved, let us love one another. For love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Every one of these loves, by the way, if you look in your Greek um, dictionary, is agape. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. And this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent His only Son into the world so that we may, might live through Him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be a propitiation or an atonement for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. When we love as we've been loved, we're free to take risks and to love others for their sake and not our own sake. Let me say it again. Agape love has no needs and only gives to the needs of others. It does not love to get something in return. It frees us up to confess our sin to one another even if the confession is not received. It frees us up to forgive others even when they have not sought forgiveness. It frees us up to serve others for their benefit, even and especially when they are unlovely. And I want to just be careful on this next statement, but it is so true in that, um, that when we serve others, um, we should not serve others. Uh, and, I, and I'll take it, uh, uh, a homeless shelter, um, foster care, uh, bringing a meal to a, a, a starving young man who just had a baby, um, whatever that service is, that uh, we should not do it because of the way it makes us feel. And I can tell you, I'm, I'm one really encourage this, um, examine yourself, every one of you. I, I'm in the same boat. Like, like we do things because it makes us feel good. And I'm not saying that we shouldn't feel good. Because it actually, serving um, selflessly and unconditionally will make us feel good. And that's called joy. Especially when that service is motivated by the way that we have been served by the triune God through the, through the death of Jesus Christ. So check yourself. Next time you sign up to serve one another, um, ask God, why, would you show me why I'm doing this? Verse 11 um, actually restates verse 9, but this time he, he, he talks about walking in the darkness. And when we um, hate our brother or sister, it blinds us. I was talking to a dear sister the other day who's been in the same place I've been in many times. And she says, I'm having a hard time forgiving somebody. I'm having a hard time. And, and, and I actually know her pain. 
there's a part of me that wants to justify her unforgiveness because she's been hurt bad. But at the end of the day, if she can't beg God to help her forgive as she's been forgiven, she's going to be she's going to be walking in the dark. Have you ever had so much um, hate and unforgiveness towards somebody that you can't even see clearly? You, you can't even read your Bible? You can't love others well? You see, when we're hating somebody else, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just, I'm going to camp a little bit on um, what Paul says in Romans 12. He says, as far as it depends upon you, Live at peace with everyone. And what he's talking about there is reconciliation. And the only way that we can be reconciled to others is knowing that the the most holy and the most high God came after us when we were running in the other direction so that we could be reconciled and brought into a right relationship with the Father. So if you want to know like just this morning, and maybe for further study, but if you go, God, if, you, if you're willing to let the, the, the light of his word shine in your heart, the light of the spirit shine and convict you and show you if there's any evil way in you, um, start with God, is there anybody in my life that, you, that I am not reconciled to? Is there anybody that I have not forgiven? They've hurt me badly. Is there any sin in my own heart where I've, where I've hurt others that, that I need to ask for their forgiveness? As far as it depends upon you, live at peace with everyone. And if you're not, if you're not um, living inside of that, you are hating your brother. And here's the deal. It's really peaceable. It's not always that easy. And that's why we need each other. A growing knowledge of the love of God. A growing knowledge of the gospel of Jesus Christ makes us understand, is helpful, is essential in loving others. Because we can't conjure it up. We can't muscle it up. Read with me as we wind down this sermon. Romans 12, 9 through 21. Paul says, let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. It's cliche, but I'm going to say it. You hate the sin, you don't hate the sinner. For God so loved the world. That's the way that we are to love others even when they are operating in evil. And it doesn't mean that we don't exercise justice. I want to be clear on that. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Here it is. Bless those who persecute you. And do not curse them. And when you're persecuted, it happens. 
Not like it happened in Nigeria where the guy's beaten, but we're persecuted every day by people's words, by their offenses towards us. But when those who persecute you, bless them and do not curse them. And one of the ways that you don't bless them is by telling others. You don't talk about conflicts you have um, with a third party. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with another, one another. Do not be haughty or prideful, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, as far as it depends upon you, you can't do anything about the other party. Live at peace with everyone. Beloved, never avenge yourselves. Leave that to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy... Not your friend, not the one that's easy to love. If your enemy, the very one that's hurt you, the very one that has sinned against you and has not asked for forgiveness yet. If your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. That's not a type of vengeance, by the way. That's actually allowing the Holy Spirit to convict them because of your good deeds. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Believer, is your love for others this morning based on what you can get from them? Is your love for the other person based on just, just them being purely lovely? They share the same interests as you do. They're a family member, so you have to love them. It's your spouse, you're attracted to them, so you, you show romantic love. The only solution, the only fix towards correcting um, our um, propensity towards conditional love is to uh, bask in the light of God's unconditional love for you. That he who is altogether lovely loved you when you were altogether unlovable. Let's pray. Father, thank you for uh, your word. Uh, thank you, God, that... Um, for the reality that you have uh, fulfilled um, our every need in Christ Jesus. That you created us to be loved. That it wasn't um, good, actually, when Adam was created. It became good, very good, when you created somebody for him to love. But God, we know what happened there. Uh, when we were looking for love in all the wrong places. A human love that could never completely satisfy. God, I thank you that you created us to be loved by you. And I thank you that that was your plan from eternity past. And that blows me away that you would create me to love me 
knowing that I would not love you in return. And so, God, I pray that uh, that, that would be our pattern, that the life of Christ, the life of the, tri- the, 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 um, the character of the triune God would be our pattern. And God, I thank you, I thank you, and I praise you that when we stumble into the dark, when we fall short, that we have an advocate, Jesus Christ, the righteous, who is advocating for us with the Father. And we thank you, Father, that your wrath has been completely satisfied. We praise you, Lord Jesus, that even when we fall short in loving others, that there's no wrath left for us to drink, but only the cup of blessing. So God, may that compel us to to want to honor and glorify you by loving others unconditionally. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Stand and close our service together.